We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 390 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jim Hilton, and joining me for the first time formally of Barca Universal and Total Analysis is Jaleel, better known to the football world as the purist. So forget Jaleel, it's the purist from here on out. Welcome to the show, Jaleel. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It sounds like I did break my own rule very, very quickly by calling you Jaleel. <laughs> yes, the purist, Jaleel, but again, the reason why it is the perfect time to have on the purist because today we are engaging in a around his neck of the woods, and that is tactics. And I think with this being the last show before Kadith and Bayern, and the show where we break down the 5-1 Champions League win over Victoria Pilsen, it's a perfect time to talk about tactics. So where we begin is with that win over Victoria Pilsen, and let's start with the Lewandowski and Dembele part of this. They were the two standout players for good reason. And, you know, I find, Julia, when I was trying to analyze this match, I didn't want to be too Dembele and Lewandowski heavy in that review, but there was certainly, while there was a team aspect to that 5-1 win, I think a lot of credit was properly due to those two individuals, and I think that really did kick off the discussion. We haven't heard the word reliance, I think, in over a year and a half, right? Until since the great one left, we have not really had to use the word reliance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess maybe a little bit of Pedri last season in the spring. You could say that uh, Barca was relying on Pedri for results then. But at this point, both tactically on the score sheet, there was a reliance on Lewandowski and Demolé to break through in that game and get Barcelona over the finish line. Yeah, there was. And uh, I think the XG in that game for Barca was maybe just over two, I think, if I remember correctly, which, and, you know, having scored five goals, that just goes to show, really, um, how big an impact those two players are having. Generally, though, things are working in this team. The, the combinations are working. I talked a little bit in my video about the sort of wide combinations between players like Sergio Roberto and Kessier and, and Dembele, obviously. Um, and those were producing opportunities in the box. Uh, Sergio Roberto got in a few times, Alba got in a few times, but it's simply a case of uh, the players with the highest quality are the ones that are taking up the advantage of those situations the most often. Uh, and those is, that is obviously you know, Dembele and Lewandowski. So... Yes, on the score sheet, they're certainly the ones racking up the goals and assists right now. But I don't think that's to say the team completely is dysfunctional otherwise, and that we're relying on them to create chances, at least, as, as chances being created. But these are the guys really taking those opportunities. 
Well, with that term over-reliance, I think that, you know, I'm going to kind of answer this myself already, but I, I feel like the question of is there was an over-reliance on Lewandowski and Dembele, if we, to do, if we do extrapolate that to the other games, though, it seems like then you could argue there was a reliance on Lewandowski and Rafinha when he plays. Remember, he did get the full 90-minute rest. And so that kind of switches the question to, is there an over-reliance on Barca's right side? Because we did see... Mm. Dembele has been a bit more in the background when he's on the left than when he's on the right with that Lewandowski-Rafinha trio. And then because Ansu is coming back from his long layoff, his first start in a long, long time, there seemed to be, you know, a bit of a quiet performance from Ansu as well. You know, kind of finding the game, not really being the typical Ansu that we'd expect him to be in certain spots. And, you know, I, I think in the inverse of last season, when we saw the numerical overload on the left side, where play was really going through Alba, and that was where Pedri was as a left interior, uh, and then working through whoever that left winger was at the time. There was always an attempt to really flood that left side and then switch the ball over to Dembele and leave him with a lot of space to go 1v1 on the right. That was the game plan. There also was not a number nine, the likes of Lewandowski, up top either. It was either Memphis or Luke de Young. It seems like the tactic is now switched, where there seems to be a flood on the right side, and then the left side, it, it could be a number of factors, right? It could be when Balde plays, Xavi doesn't want to overload Balde with too much offensive and defense responsibility. And then even the game against Victoria Pilsen, does he fully believe in Alba still, right, to, to overload that side? I think Pedri, has role in the midfield has been a bit more free range. So he hasn't totally been a left interior, if you will. We've seen Gabi kind of defend horizontally more than he does even vertically. And so the right side tends to be where that winger is most comfortable, that being Rafinha or Dembele. And I think it just comes down to comfort more than I think it might come down to an actual tactical approach, right? And and also the other key too is that that winger has to also receive that on the right side, has to receive that ball deeper when Araujo plays it right back because you have to go and receive the ball closer to him as opposed to the other side when you're expecting a diagonal ball or a switch of play with Balde basically being a winger. Yeah, no, everything that you've just said is is completely accurate. And and I think, you know, to not to oversimplify it too much, but it does come, come down to the fact that Barca's prime creators prefer to play on the right-hand side. That game against Pilsen, for example, if you look at the passes that Barca have made into the box, you can take any player, essentially, Pedri, Kessier, Ansu, whoever you like, compare their sort of pass passes into the box graph to Dembele's and you see Dembele makes so many so many more passes into the box than anybody else by a significant margin Um, and that's because he's the type of player that wants to get onto the ball and is always looking to be very direct and cut through those passes so um, and the same with Rafinha he's he's the same kind of player right so you don't have that kind of player right now on the left hand side Ansu isn't that kind of player Ferran isn't that kind of player and you're completely right about Pedri, who is having to become a chameleon, essentially, and fill in for, you know, take the responsibility depending on who's playing on that side. So if it's Alba pushing up and Ansu cutting in, then Pedri's going to drop back uh, against Pils. And we even saw De Jong, despite playing as a, a quote-unquote pivot, uh, deciding he wanted to be a left interior and Pedri has to drop back and, and cover him as well. So Pedri's role is definitely, um, as for my money, the most mature and composed player in this team, at least in the midfield, he, aside from Busquets, obviously, is essentially being sacrificed in in an attacking destructive sense 
So we're not seeing him from the left-hand side as we might. Uh, I'd, I'd quite like to see him given a more prominent role. Uh, certainly if Rafinha is on the left, for example, or even Dembele, and the left-back is becomes a little more um, reserved, I think Pedri can become a much more destructive player from the left. But right now, he it's not the case. He's being sacrificed. And, and yeah, you're right. All the, the major decisive actions are happening on that right-hand side. Yeah, well, uh, speaking about Demele's performance, in particular against Victoria Pilsen, right? The breakthrough came off of Demele's foot from the corner. Kunde knocks it back across, and Kessier perfectly placed it at the, at the near post. Just a, a quality ball from Demele aiming for the head of Kunde. Kunde also, as a reminder, is much better in aerial duels than his height may question, right? I think the uh, the EPL is going crazy about about Martinez, right? About Lissandra Martinez <laughs> and his the whole thing, but. Uh, Kunde, I think, has an has in mind by like an inch or two, but yet Kunde wins way, 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 way. Not more than Martinez, but he just wins way more balls than than almost any other player his height. Just has a great knack for it. But and then just at the stroke of half time, you know, again, there's something about tactics mattering, and then there's something about Dembele tactics be damned. He still dribbled to five people, like regardless of what your tactics are. Like you can't say, okay, we've set up the team so that Dembele can dribble to five players. Like that's not. It's the same thing with Messi. Like there is there's individual brilliance at play there. Almost scores there. Barcelona keep it in Pilsen's end. And then this, again, isn't really tactics. This is just Dembele choosing to defend and defend in a way that I think the other team wasn't ready for. He comes sliding in to win it back. No one comes to him. And he has a million years to find Lewandowski at the back post for a diving header. And that's how, I mean, not to say the game was put away at that point, but that puts Barcelona in a good point and in a good place to pretty much put, put the game away at 3-1. So, you know, also a late nutmeg while dribbling through the middle, and there was a long chance for him to get a shot on goal. And really, that's the next the next thing Dembele has to do, right? Like, the next thing this season is to show Xavi what he did in the preseason, and that's to score more goals. And when he did that interview last week, he was pretty clear about it, that Xavi told me to put the ball in the back of the net. And, you know, he likes everything else I'm doing. He loves everything else I'm doing, but I've got to add that to my game. Fortunately for him, he has a teammate, Robert Lewandowski, who is okay at putting the ball in the back of the net because <laughs> Patrick. You know, the only thing I'm going to say about it's easy to pat myself on the back because Lewandowski scored against Victoria Pilsen, right? Like, I'm not like victory out here. But what I will say is that, as I promised, Lewandowski doesn't lose these matches. He is a clinical striker who puts the ball in the net with the slightest bit of an opportunity. And over the course of 90 minutes against a team like Victoria Pilsen, there will be a window for Lewandowski. There will be a moment or two moments when he's going to get free and he's going to put the ball in the net against a team like this, right? Against a team that just does not have the structural quality to handle the Barcelona onslaught for 90 minutes, you know? We'll talk about the defensive part of the stuff for Barcelona in a second, but I'm just talking about the attack, that it seems like in the Champions League even, that Barcelona should be able to go toe-to-toe offensively with anybody. Oh, That's yeah, 100%. It. And it's led by Lewandowski. Is there anything that Lewandowski is doing in particular other than just being... I mean, I guess, how is Lewandowski... This would be the better way to say this... How is Lewandowski now playing off, let's see, Roberto being an inverted overlapping, I guess that would be the term, right? Inverted overlapping right back, like coming in and becoming that almost an attacking midfielder, making that Roberto run. And then Dembele and Lewandowski kind of working off each other, as well as the movement between Ansu coming into the box and becoming that secondary striker behind Lewandowski. And then Ferran Torres, that's how he gets the assist, right? He lays it off to Lewandowski for the, what was that, the fourth goal of the game for Lewandowski's hat-trick. So, yeah, where is Lewandowski's movement in comparison to the other forwards that is both, you know, optimistic for you, but also you're looking to get a little bit more out of? 
Are you missing out on your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. Now, you heard me talk last week how Frances and I, you know, we have never really met in person. We have lived thousands of miles away. And while Frances is not currently and hasn't been on the show in quite some time, he did introduce me, and yeah, he introduced me to Barcelona Blog and all that stuff and got this started. More importantly, he did introduce me to NordVPN and the use of VPNs, and it has been essential and important to all of the viewing that I do, whether it's Barca B, whether it's lower Spanish division teams, whether it's the leagues I don't have access to, the Eredivisie, and getting that stuff in Catalonia has been essential to doing this whole thing. So if you're bored of U.S. Netflix, why not take it for a spin in the U.K.? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com backslash thebarcelona, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an affected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there is literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never even happened. Check out my link, nordvpn.com backslash thebarcelona, to get your subscription started today. And I don't need to tell you, but Champions League Soccer is back, streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration starts September 6th. The biggest stars, top teams, and the craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid, yeah, Benzema and Real Madrid, defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time. And stream every match of the UEFA Champions League, live starting September 6th, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Now back to the show. Uh, well, I think he's, he's just a master, isn't he, really? He understands the positional game so well. And um, that means that he's appearing in, in positions that you probably wouldn't expect, which is a lot deeper uh, than just, you know, a poacher. Particularly on the left-hand side, he's he's dropping in almost beside Pedri at times, and then Pedri might push up. What a player like this allows you to do is absolutely maximise the positional game because you have a player who understands the the rotation part of it, right? So he can drop into a position like Pedri's, for example, and Pedri's intelligent enough to then uh, attack that space. The same with Ansu if he tucks inside, and so it gives you a lot more options and a, uh, a system that's a lot harder to defend because you've got players moving all over the place. It's you know very typical of Pep City, for example. And Lewandowski's movement outside of the box is so good that uh, it facilitates those kind of situations. Um, and that's actually making him, alongside Dembele, one of the prime creators, not just goal scorers. Uh, we're seeing him, if I go back to sort of passes into the box, after Dembele, the guy who's doing that the most is Lewandowski from primarily that left-hand side. There was a, a situation, I think, Alba got in behind against Pilsen where Dembele played a lovely little dink into him um, and, and Alba, I think he's pretty low on confidence at the moment, but, but didn't make the most of that opportunity. And so I just think he's really, I hesitate to use this word, but he's a complete centre-forward. He, he, 
he can mix it around uh, anywhere on the pitch, essentially. And and now we've got players intelligent enough to to take advantage of that as well. So I can't. There's nothing I can say to Lewandowski to to you know to improve him. I think he's got it all, quite frankly. And it's just now a case of are the other players, when presented those spaces and opportunities, good enough to step up? In some cases, yes. And as we saw against Pilsen, uh, in some cases, uh, no. Yeah, well, moving to the midfield before we get to that back line, we saw the, I, I think you want to say the full Frank Kessie experience. He gets the header. Um, it's a really difficult, really difficult header to wind up not only winning the ball when it's coming across goal, you know, I guess that's the easy part, but the harder part is directing it low and into that small window at the, the near post that he had. But, you know, other than just the goal, I think what you had said in your video about this game, breaking down these tactics about Kessie was really interesting. And I think it potentially highlighted the difference between Kessier and Gabi, tactically speaking. And it seems to me that who starts? I mean, yes, form, right? If one of them completely just blows somebody else out of the water, like one, not the other one, but in terms of comparing the two, because that's what it is. Like Frankie de Jong, Kessier, Gabi, they are fighting for that other spot in a perfect 11, if you will, for, for Xavi next to Busquets and Pedri, right? So it's three guys battling for one spot and they all do different things to use. But Frankie de Jong, I think, will get his rotations as both the pivot and the other interior. But in the case of Gabi and Kessier, it does feel like it is who is going to be the choice based on the opponent. And so tactically speaking, what is the difference between those two? Yeah, it's interesting because it's tempting. And the obvious answer is that Kessier gives you more defensively, but that's actually not the case at all from, from what I can tell. That is um, really I think, And you, you did say that well in your video. That's Yeah, I, yes. Uh, Gabi is is um, has been when he's on the pitch probably Barca's most destructive player off the ball in terms of breaking down opposition attacks, especially in transition. His recovery speed is incredible. Kessier is actually the more passive of the two. He doesn't put in as many challenges. Uh, he doesn't get beat as often, obviously, and he doesn't give away as many fouls, uh, certainly. But for the you know very aggressive reaction that Xavi wants off the ball when Barca lose it, Gavi is actually better suited, sure. um, which is you know which will probably surprise people because you know often talk about you know Kessie being giving Barca some more physicality or whatever it is, but you know not necessarily. It's actually quite difficult to compare their roles right now because Kessie hasn't been given a full ninety against really quality opposition we we know how good Calvi is on the ball we know how composed he can be we know how excellent he can be in tight spaces you know his footwork is incredible he he'll be rainbow flicking guys on the edge of the box you know Kessier we haven't he hasn't been challenged like that yet and there are times even against Pilsen where you see his first touch isn't quite perfect or you know he plays a pass and it's not perfectly to to the correct foot and these are minute details that against Pilsen won't make a difference, but against Bayern absolutely will. I'd be interested to see, is he going to be able to step up to that level for those games? Stylistically, they're both doing the role that, that Javi wants from that right interior position right now on the ball, which is mainly providing a, mainly being a runner, basically. Being a runner off the ball to, to give space for Dembele particularly, and then attacking the box when when they get the opportunity, and Kessier obviously is is uh, with that header. You can see that he's got an eye for goal. He also got in a couple of opportunities where he tested the keeper. That happened quite often in preseason as well. He tends to be in those 
positions more often than Gabby as sort of a, a pure box threat. But again, it's you know we need to see that against you know top top opposition. So it's it's actually really hard to say right now. I think based on the evidence we've seen, Gabby is still the guy defensively and and on the ball, frankly. Um, but I, I want Kessier to be given a chance, and I'd like to see if he can step up. Yeah, and this is just particular to Victoria Pil- uh, Pilsen, but Kessier was certainly covering quite a bit for Roberto moving forward, and we don't really know how much Bayerine, how much of that experience we're going to be we're going to receiving this year. But I think Bayerine is going to be very similar, the similar thing there. The only thing about Bayerine is different than Roberto is Roberto is going to invert a little bit more. Bayerine is likely going to stick to the touchline a bit, so I'm wondering what that's going to mean for that little triangle rotation between the right winger and the right interior. That being, again, in this case, it was Kessier. So Kessier for large swaths of the game, every time Roberto would get forward and cut inside, or Demele was kind of leaving that right wing exposed, you'd see Kessier drop in a bit deeper for coverage for those two positions. So yeah, now I think we're naturally transitioning into the back here. And I think the conversation kind of begins with Kunde because just breaking down the, the, the goal, to start for Victoria Pilsen, right? Because it's always worrisome that you can't get a clean sheet against Victoria Pilsen, even though I want to remind everybody that Barcelona had, like, they had yet to give up a goal. And this was the first goal that they let up of the season. So, uh, or sorry, uh, no, they had, uh, they let up a goal against, uh, who was it? Was it Real Sociedad, right? Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, right. So anyway, but for Ter Sagan, he's had a great start to the year. But the only worrisome thing about that goal that they led up to Victoria Pilsen that concerned me was that it seemed like they turned off defensively the long shot, Kunde blocks it, goes down, and he was slow to get up. And then Alba had two with him because of Kunde being slow to get up. Kessier missed the ball at the near post, trying to head it away. And then Ter Stegen was out of position because he thought he could get to the deflection. And to me, everybody's a little bit to blame. And if anything, like that makes it easier to fix, if that makes sense. Like it wasn't like it wasn't like Ling Lei pulled somebody down in the box, right? And I don't mean to dog Ling Lei, but like it wasn't an individual <laughs> error where you go and say, Oh, that person had a rush of blood to the head made a mistake or let up a penalty or, you know, or the penalties that Eric Garcia let up, the two penalties he gave up last year or, right, or if he just got beat 1v1 by uh, by some kind of striker, right, like Lewandowski for Bayern last year, right, right, beat Eric Garcia, just skinned him inside and out. But it wasn't like that. It was that multiple players turned off when they needed, when they didn't need to, when they were up in a game, when the game was, they felt like it was probably already over, but obviously it wasn't at that point. Uh, then it soon was thereafter. Um and even the VAR, right? Christensen could have gotten a red card. Could have. Like, Pilsen could have had a penalty. That could have changed yeah. the whole game at that point. Instead, thanks to VAR, the red goes back in the pocket. And then a yellow comes out for Mascara, which, I mean, it's tough. It's hard living. <laughs> but yeah, that, that first half certainly had its moments. And I think we can throw some of this out because right now, Araujo and Garcia have been first choice at the back along with Kunde. And we didn't see either of them in this game. And I think the defensive structure for Barcelona so far is built on the back of those three kind of playing together. So I don't know. Is it, is it wrong to throw that out? Or is it, is it that Barcelona need to kind of even figure out how to keep the light switch on when you're playing against the Victoria Pills and when you have Christensen and Koundé's at center back and, and the like? Is there, was there something that was worrying you about that back line against Victoria Pills uh, For the most part, not really. It is the case that, yeah, the, the two or three times that the back line came into pressure, that we saw some cracks. The goal itself was a weird one. It was sort of a comedy of errors, like you say. You know, there was like a deflection and a slip and then another deflection. And uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to point fingers. Um, I do think that this back line has 
is is most weak when the opposition just goes direct, right? When they just force mm-hmm. long balls, when they force one v one duels, headers, you know, knockdowns, um, and uh, statistically. Kunde and Christensen are the two players with the poorest aerial duel win percentage out of the, the back line. So it didn't actually have any effect in that game, although Kunde lost the ball for that that uh, Christensen potential red, but it was against a six foot seven centre forward. So but but even so, you know, like you have to deal with a six foot seven centre forward sometimes. And it's when the opposition are a bit more brutish that, that Barca struggle. That concerns me a little bit. Although it's not going to be this pairing, Eric Garcia is also often guilty of struggling when it gets a little bit, becomes a little bit of a street fight. So, you know, whether whether opposition in the Champions League for Barca are going to actually do that very often is, is probably another question. Maybe Bayern will get lots of players around the centre of the pitch. Um, we're going to talk about Bayern later, but... Yeah, I think there are going to be some occasions because of the uh, the style of the press that Barca like to, to implement and the amount of players they commit forward, um, that players are just going to be 1v1 and they just have to win a duel. And if they don't win a duel, then the, the opposition are in. And that's the, the high-risk, high-reward game that Xavi's playing. You can't really blame the players other than saying just, you know, get bigger and win win those headers in duels. You know, there's nothing tactically you can do if Xavi is going to be playing that system, which it seems like he, he is. So it's a really, really difficult question. I think as it is right now, Barca aren't conceding many goals. And that is because for the most part, they are winning those duels and Testagan is pulling off those saves when required. The other thing to remember is, is this actually, is this risk or reward style worth it? At the moment, yes, because Barca are scoring five, you know, four goals a game. Um, and so it doesn't matter if you concede one to a to a lucky knockdown or deflection or whatever, if you're then going to go and score five goals. So I think there's a concern there for sure, but there's not much that can be done unless there's a complete overhaul of the defensive system, which I actually do sort of want to see. Um, maybe not a complete overhaul, but certainly tweaks to the way that Barca press. Um, but uh, as things are, yeah, there's nothing much that, that can be done. Yeah, yeah, I think you really, in your video, highlighted well the ways that other teams can be direct. Yes, the 6-7 forward and trying to hold up play is one thing, but it seems like if that being the other team can break through that first line of the press, that being that usually that space, as you highlighted as well, between Dembele and whether it's Kessier or Gabi or whether it's Rafinha on that right side, between that right winger, that interior, and then if the positioning of the right back isn't, totally where it needs to be and that player is is out of position in any way then that is the hole for other teams to to kind of waltz through i mean completely waltz through and now you have a 2v2 or 3v3 uh yeah and it's a really high back line as well so you know it doesn't take much in in the way of quality to actually exploit that you know once you've won that knockdown or second ball you know it's it's literally a through ball and you're in so yeah yeah i mean this is the high risk high reward that xavi even spoke about before he came to barcelona he said especially Mm. in beating a low block and so i think well you know get to Bayern, but you're going to see i think a very different tactics against Bayern than you saw against kadith and victoria pilsen even the line of confrontation will be different i mean there were times in this the game against victoria pilsen in that first half when the line of confrontation was uh, but what was it it was 10 yards into their half right that's where they were almost setting up their back line that being barcelona full-on press, and we were, we already saw it. Whether Xavi is ultimately going to try to play a 3-4-3, which is kind of what it looks like at times when he had Kunde and Araujo and Garcia together, that's how they 
move the ball around. They look to shoot those diagonals and they get those winger, those uh, wingbacks high, if you will, and play them as wingbacks. But against a low block, it does look awful like a 4-3-3 where the interiors must be high between the midfield and the back line of the opposition to try to cut them out a little bit. And that also, as we saw, give interiors plenty of opportunities to shoot. It was an interior on a set piece that gets the first goal. And the goal is in the, against these low blocks is going to reminder to create spaces in the half spaces between the center box, center backs and the low block, create numerical superiorities on the wings between the fullback and the winger. So the attacking midfielder can either get in behind a one V one or, or sorry, a one V one is available for the center forward. And we did see on Lewandowski's, I think probably his best goal where he kind of, he brought it down, you know, spins around, smashes it in, in, in. That is one of the circumstances where that high press allowed Lewandowski on the turn an opportunity for a one V one. And then on the Lewandowski third goal, when Ferran Torres brought it down, that's what we're talking about there too, right? That Ferran Torres was able to, I mean, he held it up well by, you know, again, Alba crossed it in, Ferran Torres dropped it down to Lewandowski. But again, the way that that all transpires is that Ferran Torres was looking to get into that half space anyway. Actually, the same space that he wound up scoring the goal that Dembele found him for. So Ferran Torres made that run twice. He made that run, and twice Barcelona gets a goal out of it, right? Once on the boot of the opposite foot boot, by the way, of Ferran Torres, and the other one comes from the drop down to Lewandowski. And, you know, that's, again, the key to getting into those half spaces and beating that low block. And also a reminder, too, that pressing in a 4-3-3, where, as you mentioned, the interior opposite the number nine must be the one who presses. That's why we also saw Kessier pressing very, very high. And that is, again, that is the exact tactical domino we're talking about. If you're going to have in that press against a, a team that's playing a low block, if you're going to press them that high and Lewandowski's on the one side and the other side of the goalkeeper is that high interior, that means there will always be space between the right winger and then that means the right back and whoever that pivot is, now you're moving the pivot over and that's why we're seeing Pedri kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off at times on the press and thank goodness that Pedri is so press resistant. And this is like, going back to not to dog on him because he's actually playing wonderfully. I'm watching every minute of it wonderfully with the LA Galaxy, but that was the biggest issue at Ricky Pooch, that in this ideal system that Xavi was going to go forward, right? Like all other Barcelona managers had the issue that Pooch wasn't really winning those 50-50. They couldn't rely on him when, as you said, it gets into a, a bit of a, a street fight. But the reason why Xavi was never going to be sold on Pooch is because the interiors in particular, the opposite interior, not the right one, the left one, as well as the pivot, their positioning has got to be tremendous. It has to be almost perfect. Because even when Busquets, as we've seen, is perfect on his positioning, his physical tools, they let him down at this age, and therefore he gets bypassed anyway, even when he's in the right spot. It seems to leave Barcelona exposed. So we're seeing, without Araujo, who we've seen the metrics, cleans up a lot at the back, especially on the counterattack, just cleans it all up. But you put all that together... And again, that's why against even, we'll switch now to Kadith and Bayern, you know, this is why I'm not concerned against either team because you put Araujo back in that squad and he does rectify the major concern with Barcelona's defensive system, which again, when we talk about the defensive system, we're also talking about that press resistance defense. Like that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the press when we're talking about Barcelona's defensive system because that's what Xavi wants to do. Yeah, I, I... Barca don't have a shape in, in out of possession, really. They don't settle into a 4 4 2. You know, there's nothing like that. It's a case of you lose the ball, everyone goes man for man to try and get it back. And it's, get it back. Know, yeah, but there's not a single point where you see, you know, two banks of four. 
Um, and so, yeah, having those players, you, you often see Busquets as a result being, you know, maybe after Lewandowski and Gavi, the highest man pressing because everybody's got to be covered. And if, you know, that right half space is empty because Gavi's pushed up, Busquets has got to be there. And so it's um, it's physically extremely demanding and it requires, you know, extreme uh, positional awareness and awareness of danger um, and athleticism. Well, um, let, me and... just, let me just add to that too about Busquets, that because Busquets is so high, and as you said, it's man-to-man marking when you're looking to press. So that means, obviously, if Lewandowski is going forward to the goalkeeper, there's one open player. It's, it becomes 10 v 11. There's one open player. And that means the opposite center back. Usually it's Araujo who's trying to stand up the center forward. So that means whether it's the other team's winger or one of their interiors, the other, forward, the other defender, if you will, the other center back, has got to contend with that, that other player. And if that other player breaks through, that's really where Barcelona, I think they're, they're conceding in the last, under Xavi at least, they're conceding like 50% of those chances when the other player beats the other center back because, as you mentioned, Busquets is so high. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I'd like to see a going forward a different way of pressing because you look at City and you look at Bayern and you know they're the teams that I mentioned in my video, but they're the best at doing it. They don't rely on every single player picking up someone else. Mm-hmm. What they do is, as a team, they compress the space around the ball so that you know, even if someone's not picked up because there's so many bodies, it's likely that there's going to be a ricochet or the opposition's going to really struggle to get out of that space. Um, and you're less reliant on individuals being switched on at all times. It's a different mentality because, you know, rather than looking around and thinking, where's my man? You're, you're thinking, if anything, it's actually slightly more uh, mentally demanding because you've got to think, well, where's the rest of the team positioned and how are we hunted them down? But once you get it right, it takes away that individual responsibility. Um, and so I certainly would like to see something like that. The way City do it, 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 it almost looks like magic how, you know, one player presses and then the opposition has absolutely no options and they're forced backwards. And then all of a sudden, all of Man City's players are, you know, within the half the width of the pitch. And, um, you know, it's very difficult, even if the opposition has a wide outlet on the other side, it's very, very difficult for them to get it to them. At the moment with Barca, it's easy to get it to that wide outlet on the other side because you're not confronted by a an entire team nipping at your heels. You're confronted by one guy. So if you just shift the ball and, and then hit the space on the other flank, th- there are plenty of times when Barca really squeeze, let's say, the left fullback. Um, you know, that's usually a good trigger to press when the, the fullback's got the ball. All it takes is that fullback is out one foot. I one touch out of his foot, excuse me, and hit the other fullback, and that's it. Press is, press is broken. It's over. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the, I, I definitely think, and I wonder whether Xavi's looking to change it because, you know, we're what, nearly a year into, maybe less, into a, into a tenure, and we're not seeing any real difference. I thought in the preseason game against Real Madrid that that was a turning point because the press looked really, really strong. But since then, it's sort of reverted. And yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued, especially against Bayern. I mean, do you want to talk about Bayern now? Because it's, it's a reasonable segue. Or... No, let's do it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, yeah, how will Xavi handle Bayern? But I mean, I think well, I guess just before that, how should he handle the rotation against Cadiz? I think would be the first question, right? Because it seems to me that Pedri is essential to breaking down a low block. 
yet, obviously, Pedri should be rested against uh, before. I almost said against Bayern Munich. Obviously, Pedri's going to feel against Bayern, but Pedri should be rested before Bayern. But again, Pedri is again the most important player against Kadif because you need Pedri to break down a low block. So I think Xavi, I'm interested how he's going to handle the rotation against Cadiz. Where how do you think he goes with that? I can see him making quite a few changes, actually. Um, I think he's, he's in the past, he's had a tendency to, to do that. Rather than, you know, make one or two changes and, and keep the core of the side the same, uh, he seems to have a tendency to like wholesale changes, which uh, I'm not too sure about. I think Pedri has to play and the aim will be score enough goals that he can come off, you know, after 60 minutes. The problem is that Cadiz are not an easy team. Well, in recent seasons, this season, maybe they've struggled a bit, but yeah, traditionally... Almost unwatchable, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, people say that EPL is better than the La Liga. I try to avoid them watching Cadiz. That is not, <laughs> they're not the team to watch so far this year to argue that, that point. No, no. And, and you know, even... I know that they beat Barca last season, but even in that performance, Barca created a lot of chances and should have won the game. It wasn't like they were tactically outdone like they were against Frankfurt, for example, or, you know, in a game that they only just beat Levante and, and things like that. The Cadiz game wasn't like that. It, it really was a case of just not taking opportunities. So Xavi's going to hope that, you know, Cadiz are going to be awful. <laughs> and, you know, you start probably, you start Rafinha, you start Pedri, you probably do start Lewandowski. Um, and you try and be two or three up at half time and then make make changes. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, left back's going to be an interesting one for, for Bayern, I think, and who plays in this Cadiz game. I assume Balde will start against Bayern. Will he play against Cadiz? Possibly as well. You know, I, he rested against uh, against Pilsen, so, you know, potentially he can play both games. He's 18. Um, you, you think that he could? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's young and he's he's got plenty of uh, energy, so... Yeah, I think generally we'll see quite a strong team um, and, and, yeah, try and get a few goals ahead. Right. I mean, we saw Christensen, Roberto was playing with the Kazan's armband, Alba, Kessier, the young. Honestly, that was six changes to Xavi's apparent, you know, gala 11, if you will, coming in against Victoria Pilsen. So even Piquet getting an appearance at halftime. So Xavi knew what that game was about, right? I mean, Pablo Torre coming on the last 10 minutes, Ferran Torres kind of finally being able to spread his wings, Memphis even as well coming on late. So... Right. I mean, Victoria Pilsen was what it was, and Xavi rotated accordingly. And I think you're right. The hope is that Cadiz kind of fold. I mean, watching their Twitter account, I think they're expecting to fold, right? Like they're, <laughs> they're, they've been, I, they've been, it's been enjoyable watching Cadiz. I mean, I think it's, it's funny, a little tongue in cheek, you know, a little funny antidote here. I have a, a tournament coming up this weekend, and my team is way worse than all the other teams. Like we have, we, it's a Saturday, Sunday type situation. And not till Sunday do we play a game that we can win, right? Like all on Saturday, we're literally going two hours away to just get rocked. And it's a shame and it's sad, but I just, I know the other teams, right? And then Sunday, we'll see what we can do. And for Kadith, it kind of feels like the same way. But it's the same thing I have to tell my team, right? I'm like captain and coaching and I have to tell them, hey, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen, right? Like (laughs) you might, we might be able to catch somebody on a second or third game, you know? The first game, we got the one seed, I mean, the three seed or the one seed in our pool. So I know we're done for, but who knows what will happen after that. And it's kind of like what Kadith might do. I mean, but that said, Kadith knows Barcelona. Barcelona tried to break him down quick, as you said, and then kind of rotate from there. Now, the real question, though, Julio, is how will Xavi handle Bayern? I mean, think it's so frustrating because I think the, the conversation about this kind of stops with the lineup as if Xavi picks the right 11, then that means they're going to garner a result. Or... 
in the years past, the answer was no matter who you put against Bayern, Barca can't get a result. But I think not only is a result possible against Bayern Munich, but even with the team that he selects, I think Xavi's going to select arguably the strongest team possible. I think we know what that 11 is going to look like by and large. But tactically, they're going to also have to outsmart Bayern Munich, who have not looked good defensively so far this year. They look just as weak as Barcelona. However, just like Barcelona, they're just out shooting teams and they're putting the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, uh, for me, Bayern are up there with City as the best team in the world. Um, they're further along in their progression by a lot than Barca. Mm-hmm. Um, they're extremely polished. And tactically, it's going to be a really fascinating one because the Bayern system and the Barca system sort of are polar opposites in the way the teams attack. Um, Bayern are very central. They have sort of, it's sort of a 4-2-2-2. And that front four completely, it's very flexible. They all interchange, but... They occupy mostly central areas, leaving the wings for the likes of Alfonso Davies and usually one of the players on the right pulls wide, usually Komen or like an Abri. Um, whereas with Barca, it's the complete opposite, right? You've got wingers pinning the touchline and, and uh, maintaining an extremely wide shape going forward. The one approach by Bayern is in order to make sure that it's very difficult for the opposition to block all the passing lines through the middle. And then they make lots of small combinations and, and they're very good at that. They're very good in tight spaces. Musiala, who I've been watching a lot, is is excellent between the lines. Mane is a really useful asset in that team as well because of his ability to um, win so those sort of 1v1 duels and hold off a defender and then bring those other central players into play like Muller and Sané. And there's just got so much firepower in the middle of the pitch. That's why I wonder whether Xavi might use that 3-4-3 system. I'm not sure, um, and I, I'm, I'm still working on my own tactical preview, so maybe I'll come to a conclusion on that. The benefits will be that Busquets won't be isolated because the, the problem that this Barca team has when teams flood the centre of the pitch, like Sevilla did, for example, against the 4-3-3, is that you can get bodies around Busquets, you can win a second ball, and you can put balls in behind. The quality that Bayern have, if they are allowed to do that, if those passing lanes aren't blocked, it's, it, it could get ugly. It really could because they, they have, you know, supreme quality. The way Javi countered that against Sociedad, who also play a very narrow shape, uh, is with those four midfielders, you know, the 2-2, two, two, the sort of square. Um, and that allows you to compete much better and, and block a lot more of those passing lanes. You've got two defence midfielders. The problem with that will obviously be that Bayern are a flexible team. They can pull wingers out wide, even if they're playing a narrow shape. Sané is often one of those narrow players who can become a left winger. Komen is the same. Alfonso Davies is, is a serious problem. Uh, so that puts a lot of emphasis then on whoever's playing as a wing back uh, to cover that space. And you don't want them to end up being pinned back rather than presenting their own wide threat. Because if Barca are going to win this game, it's going to mean taking advantage of the fact that Alfonso Davies pushes up, uh, the fact that it's a very narrow back line from Bayern and you stretch the pitch with the likes of Dembele and Rafinha. If you're giving them too much defensive responsibility, you you nullify that threat, you nullify your own threat. So it's going to be a really fascinating one in that sense that I think if I had to guess right now, I think if either team's going to impose their style, it would be Bayern because I think... Their press is more is better coordinated. 
they have a lot of players in the middle that make it hard for them to be pressed. And potentially Barca's best route to winning this game might be to allow Bayern to take um, the majority of possession and then hit them, as we saw with Sevilla, in transition. Uh, that might actually be uh, the better solution. So, you know, it's it can go... It, it, Barca have the tools to beat Bayern. That, that's for sure. Like you said, they, they look defensively shaky, especially in transition. They also have conceded a few set pieces and Barca are looking reasonably strong, like you said, with Koundé and, and Araujo, um, which actually could be a surprising route for Barca to score goals against Bayern It's three yep. set pieces. But uh, primarily it's going to be by stretching the pitch and by uh, trying to pin those Bayern fullbacks if possible. If you can pin, Alph- pin Alphonso Davies, um, and Pavard, and you can get Pedri and Gabi in between, who is it, um, Kimmich and Salvitzer, uh, or either side of those players, then Barca can cause his team problems. And I, I think <laughs> I have to give Bayern the edge because, they're, like I said, they're a bit more polished. They're, they're, they uh, pass the ball with a bit more fluidity. They understand their positioning a bit better. But Bayern, uh, sorry, Barca have the raw tools, the raw firepower to, to hurt them. Yeah, I mean, I think the four players that stand out, if these four players are, you know, head and shoulders, as much as I wanted to say Pedri because of his press resistance ability, I think if Busquets, Koundé, Araujo, and Lewandowski really put in a showing, I think that is Barcelona's pathway forward, right? If Lewandowski just does what he does, even if he didn't get enough service and still puts two goals behind Bayern, or at least creates, is a big part of creating two goals for Barcelona. In the same way, if Araujo is confident on the ball, whether Araujo plays as the right back, that'll be the interesting question, right? If he plays, as we saw in El Clasico, if he plays at the right back spot, or is it Koundé who plays at right back, and you keep Araujo in the middle? I mean, Xavi has said that he feels like defensively they lose something in that 3-4-3, and that puts a lot of the onus on Araujo to make the right decisions, it also puts the onus on Busquets to not lose the ball against that, you know, that rabid Wolverine that is that Bayern press. So, yeah, we'll have to see all those things. So before we get out of here, I've got three little notes for you. One, there is a uh, new salary and credit to Patreon Mike Crimmins. He almost nailed the number exactly. I think he said 640. I don't remember what he said, but there was a new salary limit set by the Liga for FC Barcelona at 656 million. A reminder that the old salary limit was negative 114 million. So as far as Barcelona's inability to create revenue, I, I think the, the devastation of Barcelona's fears of bankruptcy were a bit premature, as everybody kind of said, that the, while the pandemic was only, what was 186 million, they took on the loss of the, that was directly related to COVID. You know, gate revenue matters to Barcelona, opening up all these different things. And this is even about the levers, like they created revenue in sustainable, the ways that they were going to create revenue year after year after year this wasn't just we're not just talking about the levers there so yeah new salary limit 656 with these the wage bill increasing next season even with de young busquets alba pique again barcelona will be in a bit of trouble so they still have work to do right they're not completely out of the out of the woods but going into this season compared to what they did last season they helped themselves out uh anything to say about salary limit julio it's not really my bag to be honest (laughs) Right, that's why we brought you in for the tactics part of it. All right. We'll do the financing at a later date. So the other uh, second piece of note here, it was also a 3 nothing win against Victoria Pilsen for the, we'll say the U19s, but really it's the Barca UEFA Youth League, uh, UEFA Youth League, there you go, squad. 
The big news was that 15-year-old Lamine Yamal made his debut, becomes the youngest Barca debut in UEFA Youth League history, which is big story. He beats out Ansu Fati and Es Moripa for that. And I think he has like 10 months or something to score a goal to become the youngest UEFA Youth League goal scorer for Barcelona. But to me, the bigger story was actually how this team was put together. It's a little bit of nuance here, but because Barcelona Athletic is so young this year, this group, that being the UEFA Youth League group, isn't just the U19s. It's usually just basically 85 to 90% of the U19s was the Juvenal A level with a few extra players. Instead, it does look to me like some of the most promising players from Barca Athletic, Juvenal A, that being the U19s, Juvenal Bay, the U18s, and one player from the Cadet A, which is the U16s. And that's actually not Lamine Yamal, as people know. He's playing with the U19s at 15. Again, the kid's not normal. But what that means to me is that unlike in previous seasons, when I would look at that lineup who would start in those games, I mean, last year they crashed out even, and the hope would be that at least seven or eight would go on to play first-team football somewhere. Not necessarily even for Barcelona, but somewhere have first-division careers. With this group, and even if not a single one of them has a long-term future at Barca, because again, they're still so young, all of them are 19 years or younger, so they're, they're not even trying to spit in any of the ones who are right on the limit. Like A lot of these players are 17, 18 years old. So unlike other seasons, you know, even if these players, I said, don't have long-term futures at Barca, I think at least 10 of the starting 11 under Oscar Lopez, without knowing the exception, I don't, I'm not telling you which player is the one who's not going to make it, but at least 10 of the 11, I think could have decent first team careers somewhere in a top division. Like you're talking about, yeah. again, Barca kind of putting together some of their, I'd say arguably the most high profile six or 15 to 19 year olds and putting them all on a team together for UA Youth League, which is really different, you know, really interesting, because almost all of them I've covered in the La Masia updates, which, again, are not the, the, they're not the Bible to, to what the, the Torah, to, to what Barcelona are trying to do in the future. But, you know, they have been the standout players for their teams through the levels. The front three of Barbera, Ilasha Komas, and a returning from injury, Angel Alacan, all got goals in the win. The player who I who haven't heard of that I want to throw on people's radar here is recently turned 16, so, again, very, very young here. Uh, Hector Fort, who is a center back with the U18s, that being the Juvenal Bays, he, he's doing that as a 16-year-old, but he did play right back against Victoria Pilsen, and he usually is a center back. So are there no right backs in the academy? I think that's, again, the bad news. It sure feels like there really are no right backs. There aren't many, but Fort stepped in and was up to it in that game. And so I don't know how well this group will do in the competition. You know, they could lose to Bayern. They could use Inter and not, and not advance. That's possible. But my one takeaway is that I really like the group that was picked. You know, it really feels like Barca as a club are taking this competition seriously or else Ilasha Komash, Chus Alba and Chadi Riyad, who are all starting for Barcelona Athletic under Rafa Marquez, they would not have started and played in this game the way they did. So this tells me that that they, that being Barcelona, are seeing what I'm seeing, which again makes me feel a little better, but they are seeing what I'm seeing and they're taking the best standout players from so many of their different levels. And again, they're throwing them into the UEFA Youth League. And I think what that helps do as well is if they, if some of these players still have a year left on their contract and they decide to go elsewhere, because right now at 16, you sign your first professional contract and we've seen Man City, Bayern, Juve in particular, they're trying to poach Barca's best talent at the academy level and Barca aren't really getting much for those players. Right, right now we have Iker Bravo, who now has moved to Real Madrid, has spent less than a year at Bayer Leverkusen. And Barcelona got a small fee for him, but he also was their most promising center forward at the time. So I think Barcelona is even putting these players kind of out there in this UEFA Youth League competition. The same thing with like the U17 World Cup. Like you go and you show your and you showcase your talent at that level, 
And then even if you leave your home club, like Barcelona don't want to part with any of these players, but if they have to, now they might get a larger fee at this young age for these players. I mean, that's like the financial part of this. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And, uh, I, you know, I hadn't actually thought about it that way. I think taking these competitions seriously is, is absolutely the way to go, not just in terms of, you know, as a showcase, but to give these players uh, experience playing against big clubs like Bayern and Inter. You know, I know they're, they're, they're at youth level still, but, you know, the pressure of these competitions makes a difference when you're forming these players, no matter how young they are. And, uh, yeah, I like it. I like the approach. I definitely need to tune in some of these games for sure. I think I'll, I'll definitely be tuning into the Bayern and Inter games because it's it's always exciting to see you know young Lamassia talent coming through. Yeah, the unfortunate thing for these games though is just to warn everybody that you do need to get on UEFA TV. I mean, and they've been really slow to the highlights. Even like I had a hard time even finding the highlights and then finding parts of the game. I, I can't tell you how I got. I, I can't tell you how I found the game. Right, I can't do that. But what I can say is. They are choosing like one or two of these games to be however you get your Champions League. There's a connection between, because it is, again, technically the UEFA Youth League is the, the younger version of the Champions League. So they are highlighting games and they are like, depending on where you are in the world, they are showcasing some of those games. And unfortunately, it was the Real Madrid Celtic game and the Bayern Inter game and not the Barca game this time. So I'm hoping next time around when it's Barca, Bayern on even on Tuesday, maybe that game is a little more readily available. So final note here as we wrap the show up. The Barca Femini have signed Kerry Walsh, midfielder from Man City. She's a defensive midfielder. And to have her be the player who wasn't even in the top 10 of the Ballon d'Or be the world record transfer fee, it has a lot to do with two big factors. One, Alexei Buteus is out in Barcelona. While this is not a like-for-like replacement, it does allow, that being Kerry Walsh, does allow Aitana Bonmati to kind of just concern herself with the attacking responsibilities because right now she's kind of having to defend a bit too much she's dropping and she's actually doing but Mati's doing a bit of the pedri right now for the femini and they want her to do basically just more of the you know raquel may right if that if that if that helps everybody out so while it's not a like for like replacement it is somebody to, to, to bring in to be able to play balls from deep he's a fantastic deep deep playing uh ball playing midfielder <laughs> yeah it's going to be Interesting to see how she integrates into this team, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that some of the pieces they brought in last year, including Engen, have not really hit the ground running after being in the team for a year. So this is, again, another big reason. And the reason why it's a world record transfer fee is because, a reminder, that Barcelona's first team and the Liga salary limits, that was the financial issue. It had nothing to do with FC Barcelona, the club. The club was never in concern to go into bankruptcy. It was at the salary limits. And the first team spending was pushed to its limits. And obviously, because those numbers are 10 times and 20 times that of the Femini, that that is what creates financial issues for the club. But the budget for the Femini is like five to six million euros. So bringing in Carrie Walsh for what I believe is 400K, like, again, that's not it's a it's a number, but it's not insane. So teams that being first teams are going to continue to put Bayern and Barcelona and Man City, who unfortunately, the reason why Kerry Walsh has arrived is because Man City were knocked out of the UEFA Champions League qualifiers by Real Madrid. Therefore, Kerry Walsh was like, well, what am I doing in Europe this year? I'm not. So that's why she was available for Barcelona. So there's a lot of different reasons why this transfer happened now. She had one year on a deal as well, and it wound up being a world record transfer fee because Barcelona are willing to invest in their team. And I can tell you that very much like the likes of when Brazilian Ronaldo made the move and that was a world record fee that this fee is very, very soon going to be broken by maybe Barcelona again, 
but Bayern, somebody else is going to break this, maybe even by the week's end, right? Arsenal, Chelsea, whoever it may be. All it is is, again, world transfer fees being broken is a nightmare when it's the Neymar and it breaks the market. But for the feminine levels and the women's game, this is just great news. It means that there is more positive investment, and I hope that world record transfer fee continues to get broken in the next few weeks and moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I remember the time in the men's game when it felt like the, the world transfer world record fee was being broken every week. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe that was a bit more unsustainable. And hopefully this, you know, when, when it happens in the women's game, it's going to be uh, better managed. Um, but it's an exciting transfer nonetheless. And uh, looking forward to tuning in some more feminine games this season. Yeah. So I also want to promise people that with Bayern taking up a lot of my time next week, look out in the near future for something about the feminine. I've, I know I have not really previewed them properly, but look out for that. Uh, speaking of what I have cooking, Jaleel, where can people find your work and what do you have cooking? And I say that, I mean, if you're watching on YouTube here in particular, or you watch any part of it on YouTube, my numbers are way lower than what you come out of the gate. Just, just firing with those, uh, the, the, those numbers on YouTube. So I, I gave it away a little bit, but yeah, where can people find your work? Oh, yeah, that's, that's it really, isn't it? Uh, YouTube, you can find me at the Purist Football. Um, and I do some stuff on Twitter still. Actually still reasonably active doing uh, pre-game, pre-game threads uh, where I can and general discussion on Twitter at the Purist underscore. Um, so yeah, follow me. And we've got plenty to come doing a full tactical preview of the buying game, uh, you know, graphics and animations and all the, the good stuff that you guys love. So um, yeah, look forward to that and, and covering as many games as possible going forward this season. Yeah, so follow the purist down in the show notes below. That'll take you to all his work. Follow again through his Twitter link the uh, to his YouTube page. Again, follow Julio, especially again if you've enjoyed what you heard here today. And then a final program note for the Barcelona podcast, part of the the, the Barca universe, the Cadiz review. As I actually kind of allude to in the show, I am pretty much away all weekend. I am not going to be at my computer. I will watch the game, and I will bring my my little lav mic, the one that little hooks to my collar, and I will be recording an audio review of the Cadiz game and that will go up on the Patreon. So unfortunately for everybody else, you know, there's, I, I'm going to have a hard time trying to release anything via video. Uh, it just won't do well enough on YouTube. So uh, if you want the Cadiz update, you got it for $3, become a Patreon. And I then will have, don't worry, early next week, I'm going to do a video breaking down the Bayern game very much just like Jaleel. So go back to back, watch both the videos, save them for your watch later, enjoy all the previews on Monday. And then again, that game on Tuesday, we're going to have an overwhelming amount of Byron content. So don't you worry after that game breaking all down. So again, I want to remind you to follow Jaleel at the Purist Football down in the shows below. We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, Close Facebook group, Patreon, you know all that stuff, as well as the YouTube channel, the merch store. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.